0: This is Presence Practice. In this podcast, our goal is to give you some practical ways to experience and grow in the presence of God. The pandemic has forever changed our lives, and for many of us, we learned how chaotic our lives have become and are trying now to navigate this new normal. In this podcast, we will embrace and try on new tools to help us unplug and grow more rooted in our faith in Jesus. We will try new things together in the hope of finding things that give us life and hope. Together, we will strive to soak in God's presence and be filled with His joy and His peace. I'm excited for you to join us as we navigate this journey together. Thank you for listening to this podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Presence Practice. My name is Tim. It's great to have you here uh, today. As we start a new series, we're starting a new series called The Reconstruct Series Series. And uh, we are going to do a deep dive on what is being referred to right now culturally as uh, deconstruction or a deconstruction journey. And I I say culturally because the term deconstruction, as we're going to look at, is actually being borrowed from uh, philosophy, from uh, Jacques Derrida, who took a very different meaning uh, for what that word meant. And so uh, for today, I thought it'd be good to introduce some of the basic concepts And uh, one of the ways that we're going to do that is to respond to a Gospel Coalition article that came out this week from a member of a band. uh, All you 90s and 2000s youth group kids will remember the band uh, Zoe Girl. Well, Alyssa Childers was out of that group and wrote uh, this article on deconstruction. And the article um, hits on so much of what we're going to be talking about in this series. And, And it even affects how we. Uh, invite other people to talk about these issues as well. And so the article uh, created a little bit of a stir on on social media, as you might imagine. And so we're going to talk just about a couple of these things as a way of introduction uh, to this series. So uh, the article, if you haven't read it, uh, is called Why We Should Not Redeem Deconstruction. And uh, the title fits right in line with what a lot of uh, the Christian world is and how they're looking at the phenomenon right now. Uh, You have people like John Cooper from uh, the hard rock band Skillet that have sort of become larger than life and uh, all this kind of war rhetoric of uh, putting anyone down that's going through any sort of process like this. And they're saying, you know, it's a threat uh, to Christianity. And so we're just going to ask that question. Is that true? And how uh, should a follower of Jesus or someone that is aspiring to follow Jesus actually look at this uh, phenomenon. So uh, a couple things. One thing I did appreciate about the article, it's not um, not all criticism. Uh, one thing was I appreciated the fact that she was willing to tell her story. If you don't know, uh, she talked about how she went through her own uh, deconstruction process and started asking really hard questions. And she said she was a part of a church that was kind of leading her in that direction. And in her words, she said, quote, a few of us came back around to a historically Christian understanding of the gospel, but most did not. And so I just want to say on the front end, like I, I hear the pain there. I hear that uh, she is weeping for uh, friends of hers that uh, maybe lost their faith altogether, lost hope. And so she has a, you know, for that reason, she has a passion for this. And, and I get that. And I thought that was a good way uh, to sort of start the article. Another note that is a little bit more neutral, and that that has to do with uh, the definition that she uses of deconstruction, she immediately starts uh, using the term deconstruction in the very first paragraph, but doesn't define it until a little bit later. And this is important because uh, the term itself, as I mentioned earlier, it's um, not a great term to be using for this process. In fact, um, one of of my next guests is a uh, philosopher who has a bone or two Uh, to pick about the, the, the way that people are using it right now. So let me first read her definition of deconstruction. She says, In the context of faith, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way into atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. So that, that's her definition. Contrast with that with um, Derrida's own words himself. He says uh, that deconstruction it emphasizes the dominance of one particular way of thinking over others and belies the idea of fixed meaning, overturning and therefore exposing the existence of the binary and destabilizing previously fixed categories of understanding. And um, I don't have to explain all that to you, uh, mainly because I can't <laughs> like like that is uh, super deep, super um, uh, philosophical structures. All sorts of things came out of this very different definitions. And there is like some overlap, but they're very, very different concepts um, at, at play here. And so uh, I really wish there was a better term for uh the, what Alyssa is talking about here, because uh, this is a term, though, that is being used in. Social media spaces, primarily uh, Instagram is probably one of the biggest ones. And so whether Christians or philosophers, whether we like it or not, I think the term is here to stay for a while at least. But let's let's take the definition on her terms, right if, um, let's let's talk about this idea that she says it's the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs that you grew up with. I would guess if you were to sit down for with Alyssa, and used her own definition, I, I bet that she would herself tell you that there are certainly people that should be deconstructing their beliefs. So let me give you an example, an example that a lot of you uh, probably know a lot about, which is uh, Westboro Baptist Church, which is neither a uh, Baptist or a church. It, instead, it is a hate-driven uh, cult. If you're not familiar with them, these are the folks that will go Uh, to different funerals and tell them, you know, basically why they deserve to die or why they deserve uh, to go to hell. It's a kind of a, it's a really a sick group. I feel certain that Alyssa would say that not only is her term for deconstruction, a good thing, but for somebody like that, it is a necessary thing. And she might say something like, no, like, you know, you preach the gospel, you give them the truth and, you know, and that will change their hearts which I would say, okay, yes, but that is also, that's just another way of talking about deconstruction and get, replacing um, bad ideas and false ideas, deceitful ideas with uh, the truth of the Bible. And so I I bet you that she would say that's true of people that grew up in Westboro Baptist Church. I bet she would say it's true of Jehovah's Witnesses. I think she would say it is true for a person that grows up being indoctrinated to hate another race. Um and she might call it something different, and that and that is fine. I heard on one podcast lately uh, where Sky Jatani from the Holy Post says maybe a better term would be to talk about unbundling. Uh, so this idea that um, you know, I, I don't know what you think about unbundling. Hope hopefully you're not thinking about you know your cable and phone bill, but like when he's talking about unbundling, he says it's this idea that Christianity has picked up some baggage over the years. Where we have said that to follow Jesus um, entails a lot more than what the Bible says it means to follow Jesus. And we're gonna get uh, way more in depth uh, with that in future episodes. But here's what I want you to think about. If that is true of Westboro Baptist Church on a major level, is it possible that it's happening to some degree to the church at large in North America? I remember there's a guy I used to listen to quite a bit. Uh, named Ray Vanderlaan, uh, head of that the world may know ministries specialized in ancient Near East culture and how to read the Bible uh, through Eastern eyes. And I love one of the things he said. He said, "You know, you can take the people of God out of Egypt, but it's a totally different thing to get Egypt out of the hearts of the people of God." And so I, I just love that. You can get you can get Egypt, you can get the people of God out of Egypt, but can you get Egypt out of the people of God? And And then we saw in stories in the Hebrew Scripture how over and over again, even though they were freed from slavery, they were free from Egypt, they carried the slavery with them in their hearts. And so they were constantly struggling to live freely. And if that's true of them, we live in the United States, probably the greatest empire in the world since the Roman Empire. And I would contend that not only is it possible, but it's almost a certainty that we are carrying empire in our hearts and even incorporating it into our faith, and our picture of who uh, Jesus is. And uh, lots of examples of this. The most obvious one probably right now is uh, Christian nationalism, which we have talked about before in this podcast. Uh, Thankfully, uh, the numbers are shrinking um, with that group, but they're also getting louder at the same time. And so the term deconstruction is tricky. We will use it, but understand it in, in terms of the way that people themselves are using it in these spaces. And we're going to try to use some better language as we go, like unbundling, untangling, reconstruction, some of those terms as well. Uh, The second thing I would want to say about the article is uh, she talks about social media. She talks about Instagram and how much of this space is fueled um, by anger and that there is a a real passion right now, um, almost like very evangelistic, right, In, in trying to get other people to deconstruct Um, with them. Now, I have to admit, I've been super interested in this space and have spent uh, some time on it trying to understand um, where folks are coming from, because I really think that's the first step is to listen and understand. And, um, you know, are there deconstruction fundamentalists out there that are fueled by anger and have basically drawn new lines of who is in and who is out? Of course there are. Like, people are people. There are always going to be people that Will construct new lines for which to say like I'm the in group and that person is on the outside, but I have to tell you that I believe that there are far more people. Um, maybe they're not the loudest voices, who have either been through really difficult things, uh, abuse, trauma, um, and, and they look at the church in North America, and they're asking the question of like Is that is that Jesus? Is that really what uh, Jesus looks like? And they're coming in humility. Asking good questions to come to a better picture of who Jesus is, is there anger of course, but you know honestly, much of that even is justified when you listen to their stories and so I guess I would just caution those of us um who uh love to get caught up in culture war language to not get caught up in this sort of us versus them mindset and to say to people really on both sides, that uh, those within the church to to soften your tone um, and listen in humility rather than labeling them as other and that they are just, you know, on on kind of a highway to hell. Um, But then also to those that are going through some sort of journey like this, just to be a a little wary, to be a little wise, um, and to be careful to not create the very thing that you hated to begin with, which is a boundary-focused belief system that excludes and pushes some people on the outside while you are in the inside. And so I think both sides can uh, tone down the rhetoric and uh, really begin to listen to each other in humility. And I think that would serve uh, both sides very well. Um, The last thing is this, um, and this is the part that I think was maybe the biggest um, surprise for me in the article. She says that deconstruction um, isn't about finding objective truth but only tearing down belief systems that they see as immoral. And she basically says, you know, um, this is a real problem. And she's like, especially when you start using this term to describe people like Martin Luther and Jesus himself. And uh, this one threw me for a loop, to be honest, because, again, using her own definition, this idea that it's about dissecting the systems and beliefs that you grew up with and rejecting those systems and beliefs um, I, I don't know how you could possibly, using that definition, not say that Martin Luther—that's that's literally exactly what he did, right? He looks—he's looking around in, in the systems of religion and church that he was in, looks at the Gospels, looks at Jesus, and says, like, wait, something here is really, really off. And so he takes action, and he unbundles and untangles uh, his understanding of God and of Scripture— from the abuses and the bad theology, so that people could have a better picture of who Jesus is, and as a result, hopefully have a better idea of what the church should be as well. And so wherever you fall on Martin Luther, um, he's certainly not not a perfect uh, person at all, um, but you have to very, at the very least admit that that's what he was doing, is using um Uh, He was, you know, defeating some of these systems and structures that had gotten caught up in the system that take our eyes off of Jesus. And then, you know, the second one, Jesus himself, right? Um, uh, She took issue with him being called a deconstructionist. And I do understand this to a degree. But again, when you think about Jesus, he was constantly calling out the religious elites for their hypocrisy and their syncretism, you know, for uh, putting things together that did not Uh, belong together that had crept in to the religious systems over years and years of practice. And uh, Alyssa brings up rightly, I think, that he isn't just deconstructing because, after all, he is the Word made flesh. He shows us this is what the Bible looks like uh, when it's lived out perfectly, to which I want to say, like, amen. But uh, can you imagine if you came to my church on Sunday and you heard me say, Uh, You've heard Jesus say that if someone slaps you on one side of your face, uh, turn the other cheek. But I tell you, now, if I said that, you would rightfully, you know, probably call me a heretic and say, like, you know, but you probably would not be saying, okay, well, Tim is just clarifying what Jesus says. No, you'd say he is doing something different. And yes, Jesus is showing us what the Word made flesh looks like. And he's clearly building something. He's going further than, not less than, what was already being taught in the law. You know, he says things like, you know, you want to talk about murder? Well, I want to talk about, you know, hatred. You want to talk about um, adultery? Let's talk about lust, you know, that starts uh, in your mind and and with your eyes. And so Jesus is clearly untangling um, uh, bad beliefs and militant legalism that focused on outward sins rather than from the heart to give people a better picture of who he is. He did this with individuals as well. You think about John the Baptist, right? Um, sends word. Hey, uh, you know, the gist of that, his question to Jesus is like, are you the Messiah? Because like, I know what Messiah does. Messiah comes and he sets the captives free. And Jesus sends back word and he gives, you know, all of the prophecies of Messiah. But he leaves out one conveniently, the one about setting the captives free. Is it to say, John, I am the Messiah, but I'm not who you think I am. I'm different. I'm a different type of Messiah that views power very differently. He had to reframe uh, what John the Baptist thought of when he thought of Jesus and the Messiah. Same thing with Mary. happened three different times where Jesus had these amazing interactions with Mary, and each time Mary comes away with a different, a slightly different, a slightly more nuanced picture of who this Jesus really is. So again, you know, I get it, that that term deconstruction, I wouldn't want to call them that either. But again, by by her definition, that's what they're doing. They're they're rooting out uh, some bad stuff that's gotten involved to get a better picture of who Jesus is. And, you know, maybe what you say is the end result is the difference. You know, if as we seek out and go on this journey, if we lose Jesus, if we lose faith, then, of course, that's not a healthy thing and for us because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. But if in this struggle and we're asking sincere questions and we're coming in humility and we're coming to get the best picture of Jesus we can, surely that is a good thing. And so that's what we're going to do in this series is um, try to be real and vulnerable and ask good questions and talk about ways to do this process um, in, a, in a healthy way. Um, if you've seen the movie, uh, Encanto, in Kanto, um, one of my, I have to say one of my favorite Disney movies in, in quite a while. And one of the things you'll notice is that, um, it's missing the classic Disney villain. And that's because what we learn is that the villain is something that is broken. It's not a person, it's a broken family, a broken system. And, you know, the main character, Mirabel, she's the one that begins to see cracks in the foundation. And, uh, uh, one of the family dismisses the concerns and says, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this house. The magic is strong. And, of course, Mirabel just over and over again keeps saying, uh, yeah, that's, it's not. I'm seeing things. I, I'm seeing something, and it's not going well. And the grandmother, Abuela, um, she acts very, very defiantly, um, very angrily, and uh, to the point that she actually begins to almost, like, uh, just— uh, Almost abuses Mirabel, right? Like just treats her really, really badly, and then when she realizes that it was her, the grandmother, not and not Mirabel, that is the reason that the whole thing was uh, coming down, she weeps, she laments, and she really she repents, and I, and I love this. Mirabel takes her by the hand and says, "Listen, nothing will ever be broken that we can't fix together," and and I love that picture. Because, listen, like one of the things that you're seeing right now is you're seeing uh, people, especially let me just talk from the church side. You're seeing people on the church side that are using the, the rhetoric of war and other to talk about this process. And it does make you wonder, like there's a defensiveness. There's a fear that begins to kick in of like, wait, is the whole thing, if we talk about the cracks, if we talk about the problems in our system, then does that mean the whole thing has to come down? And I want to say no. No. That's not the case. The case is that we, if we can be honest and um, look at things with nuance and with honesty and say, here are some things that we believe don't line up with scripture and don't line up with the character of Jesus. If we can do that and admit those weaknesses, it's going to open up dialogue. And I think it's going to all push us to a better picture of Jesus, which is the goal. Just a couple things to think about as we get started um, like I said, we're going to go pretty deep into this and talk about all sorts of different things. We're going to be having all sorts of different guests. If you have topics or questions or concerns you want us to address, as always, uh, you can email us at PresencePracticePodcast at gmail.com. That's a mouthful. PresencePracticePodcast at gmail.com. If you know of guests that you would like us to to check out Uh, Let us know that as well. And um, as always, thank you guys uh, so much uh, for listening and um, God bless. Hope you have a great week and we will be back in two weeks with our next episode. Take care, everyone. Bye.
0: Thanks again for listening to Presence Practice. Be sure to like and share with anyone you think could benefit from our podcast. May God bless you as you seek to navigate this difficult time with renewed purpose and a renewed understanding of God's work in and through his people. We're thankful for our listening community and are excited for what comes next. Thanks and God bless.